Alright, continuing our series entitled, Having a Heart Like God with a Life Like Mine. How do we do that? We're studying the life of David. Today, we're going to talk about handling people God's way. You know, life would be great if you never had to see another human being ever again. Life would also be terrible if you never saw another human being the rest of your life. God made us to interact with each other. That's what brings joy in our lives. However, the same people who can be the source of the greatest joy we've ever known can, at times, also be the source of the greatest heartache we've ever known. In our group, that is never more evident that when you begin a relationship and you end a relationship. One of the challenges about having a singles ministry is that the obvious usually happens. When single guys and girls get together, eventually something clicks between two of them and they begin to date. Unfortunately, that dating life doesn't always lead to marriage. Sometimes it leads to three or four months or three or four years of great companionship, only to find out down the road we're not meant to be together the rest of our life. Usually one of them figures that out before the other one does, and the one who figures it out informs the other one, and then the relationship breaks. Well, then we got challenges. Because now those two people who used to sit in, in, in our situation, who used to sit in class, lovey-dovey, and just were the best of friends, now are ready to strangle each other and sit at opposite ends of the class. And that's if they both still come. A lot of times, one or both will depart and they won't come back because I'm afraid I might see that other person if I get there. That's normal life. That's just how life is. It happens that way. So, as a Christian... How do I handle people? If I'm going to have a heart like God, how do I handle these different kinds of people in my life? And we all have them. So I want you to notice with me, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's begin with verse number 1. We're going to read the first nine verses, and we're going to talk about David and a couple of people in his life that were actually totally opposite. Okay, look at verse number 1. After David had finished talking with Saul. By the way, what has just happened in chapter 17? Who got killed and his head chopped off? Goliath. David showed up in the valley. Israel on one side. Philistines on the other. Goliath's coming out. He's cursing the God of Israel. Saul's soldiers are scared to death. They won't do anything about it. Little David walks up with a sling and five stones. And he tells Saul, I'll take care of the giant. He then proceeds to take care of the giant. Whacked him in the head with a stone, stood on top of him, pulled his sword out, cut his head off, pursued the Philistines, defeated them, came back, went into Saul's office with the head of the giant in his hand, according to the latter part of chapter 17. So when we come to chapter 18, and the Bible says, after David finished talking with Saul, that was the conversation that had just been completed. David in Saul's office with the head of the giant in his hand. Now, 
Notice what happens. After David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, Saul's son, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. David meets his best friend, Jonathan, a young man similar in age, from two totally separate worlds. Jonathan grew up in the home of King Saul, Saul the first king of Israel, living in luxury. David lived in the home of Jesse, his father, a farmer. David's working out in the fields. God brings these two people together, and he knits their heart together. Have you ever met somebody for the first time, and it was like you knew each other all your life? I mean, there was just something about you. Your heart's just connected. I mean, you didn't try. There was no special effort. It just happened. And you just became great friends. I have several people like that in my life that I'll meet them in the course of business or in the course of ministry, and I've never seen them before. But we'll meet, and our hearts just click. I've got friends that I met years ago when I was in Bible college that today we still remain good friends. And talk, there, there's one, a good friend of mine, he's a pastor in Huntsville, Alabama. His name is Rick. Rick and I met years ago when I was traveling and preaching for my college in outside of Washington, D.C., in Alexandria, Virginia. He was a youth pastor in a church where I spoke. We met. The first time we met, it was like we were brothers, and we had grown up. That was years ago. He still calls me. He still sends us letters. We're still very good friends. That's what happened with David and Jonathan. Their hearts were knit together, and the Bible says, Jonathan loved David as himself. Now let's keep going. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Verse 5. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. Now, what you notice what's happening here. David comes. First, his ministry to Saul was to play the harp, to soothe the evil spirit, <coughs> the unrest he was getting because Saul disobeyed God. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. David's ministry of playing the harp was used initially to help Saul through those difficult times. Then David shows up and frees the armies of Israel from the Philistines by killing Goliath. So Saul says, I, I need to keep this guy around here. Prior to this, David would come over, play the harp, then go back and work for his father. Now Saul says, I'm keeping him here all the time. So he began to give David jobs to do. David did them so successfully, he kept getting promoted. Now, here's the deal. Not only was Saul glad these things were being successful, but now the Bible says the people and Saul's officers were starting to like David. So what happens? Look at verse 6. When the men were returning home from after David to kill the Philistines, 
the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. <coughs> stop for a second. <coughs> you got Jonathan, Saul's son, is best friends with David. David is successful at everything he does. The people love David. The officers in the army love David. And now you put the icing on the cake, and this is where it all really starts. Now the women like David. Notice what they say. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Uh-oh. Now we got a problem. David, I'm King Saul. And, and you know, as long as you're making me look good, everything's great. Well, now we've gone too far. Notice the very next phrase in verse 8. Saul was very angry. Well, now we've got an issue. Saul was David's mentor. Saul was the king of Israel. Saul, by the way, is not aware David is his successor. Yet. Now Saul is starting to see it. This guy is not an asset anymore. Now he's a threat. Do you know, in our lives, sometimes the very best of friends can turn on us when pride gets in the way. That's what's happening here. Okay, Let's keep going. Saul was very angry, verse 8. This refrain galled him. The song. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? This lets me know he doesn't know that Samuel has already been to Jesse's house and has already anointed David the new king. He doesn't know that yet. But now he's starting to see it. What more can he get but the kingdom? Now he's threatened. Notice the last phrase. Verse 9. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Jealousy ruins more relationships than anything else. Jealousy kills friendships. By the way, where does jealousy come from? It is not the root problem. It is the fruit of the real root problem. The root problem is pride. Which is the root problem to 99% of all the struggles you and I have in our life. It's pride. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. That's just a fact. I didn't say it's right. It's a fact. Neither do you. That's why people leave churches sometimes. Because they sit in the church service and the preacher tells them the truth and he's right. And basically what he's telling them is, you're wrong. And they don't like to be told they're wrong, so they leave. And according to what Paul told Timothy, they go to some church where there is a preacher who tickles their ears and never tells them they're wrong. So they can go and live any way they want to and feel comfortable. Paul warned Timothy 
People will get that way the closer the coming of the Lord gets to us. And all you've got to do is take a look at our society today. It's happening. We're all human. You and I are going to struggle with these battles. We just do. It's part of being a human. Now, there's hope because we can have victory over this. Is it wrong for me to not like to be told I'm wrong? Well, no, that's not wrong. It's a fact of life. Is it wrong for me to respond the wrong way because I don't like to be told I'm wrong? Yes. That's where the problem comes. So here's what's happening. Saul, instead of accepting the place that God had for him and thinking that maybe David is going to add some value here, gets jealous because of his pride. The lady said he slew 10,000, but they said, I only slew 1,000. The I word got in there, and that's where the problem is. All right? So, here's what we got. We got two people in David's life, Jonathan and Saul. How does David handle them? Two totally different people. One of them is best friend. The other one now is enemy because he's jealous. All of us are going to have these kinds of people in our life. We're going to have great friends that encourage us, and you'll see that in a second. But we're also going to have people that are not exactly our best friends. For whatever reason, it could be a number of different reasons, most of which is pride or jealousy. But whatever the reason is, we're, we're going to have opposition. How do we handle that? Well, let's look at what David did, okay? First of all, I want you to notice David, God uses different kinds of people in our life. Now, here's the key. God uses these people in our life to help us. He uses the good ones and He uses the bad ones. God uses both kind of people in our life. If the only kind of people we had in our life were people who always patted us on the back and told us how great we were and always were for us and thought that we were wonderful, we'd end up being just as proud as Saul got. We need the other. As iron sharpeneth iron, the book of Proverbs says, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need the rough interaction with people who may not always see eye to eye with us to make us the kind of people God wants us to be. We need both. Now, there are several things. First of all, the good people. What was it that God used Jonathan to do in David's life? Well, primarily, he used Jonathan to encourage him. I want you to notice in chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, we read that. They became best friends. Their hearts were knit together. You also see that in chapter 20 and verse 17. But turn over to chapter 23 and look with me at verse number 16. This was a time when Saul was pursuing David and David was discouraged. I want you to notice how God used Jonathan in David's life. Chapter 23, 1 Samuel, verse 16. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. What did God use Jonathan, his best friend, to do? To help him find his strength in God. Notice, Jonathan didn't give him strength himself. Jonathan pointed David back to where his real strength came from, God. And you know what? Those are the best kind of friends to have. The kind of friends who have a heart for God, and when you and I get discouraged, they don't beat us down. They don't make the discouragement worse. They don't tell us it can't be done. 
They're the people that God sends into our lives that help us find our strength in God again. They encourage us. That's what Jonathan did. Now, we all need that, right? Right? We all need that. Everybody does. But God also uses the bad people. So that's what I want us to do. I want you to look at Saul's life. And we're going to look at some things that happened between Saul and David. And how did David handle that, okay? Four things. You've got them on your notes there. We're going to take a look at them real quick, and then we'll be done. How do we handle people God's way, whether good or bad? Number one, focus on my actions, not the actions of my enemy. I've got to focus on what I'm doing, not on what is being done to me. I want you to notice in chapter 18 and verse number 5, the Bible says whatever Saul sent him, David, to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. David wasn't focusing on what Saul thought about him or what Saul was doing. David focused on whatever job Saul gave him to do, and he did it so successfully that he got promoted. Now, why did David have that success? All right, let's keep going. Look at verse number 14. Same chapter, chapter 18, verse 14. The Bible says in everything he did, David, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Why was David successful? Well, it wasn't because he was talented, even though he was. It wasn't because he was a hard worker, even though he was that too. It wasn't just because he was a young man with character and responsibility, even though he was all of that. David's success ultimately came because God was with him. He was doing what God told him to do. What is my job? How do I handle people in my life that maybe are adverse to me? I focus on my actions and making sure that I'm doing what God has told me to do, not focusing on my enemy and what they're doing to me. Do you know when you and I take our eyes off of the Lord and start focusing on what's happening to us, do you know where that tends to lead us? To respond to them the same way they're responding to us. Because that's what we're looking at. We're looking at what they're doing to me. So obviously the easiest response is for me to turn around and do the same thing back to them. That's why I can't focus on that. I have to focus on my actions and what God wants me to do and not on that. That's what David did. Now, I've given you several other verses. In chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, you have the story of where Saul tries to kill David. It's interesting. When David went in, you know what David was doing? He was playing the harp. Look at chapter 19, verse 9. But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the harp. What is David doing? He's just doing what God told him to do. He's doing what he knows to do. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Notice something. David didn't sit there while Saul tried to kill him and say, you want another shot? I mean, he saw the danger and he got out of there. He didn't hang around. However, David was just doing what he was supposed to do. He had no control over what Saul did. You and I have no control over what other people do to us. 
I can only control one human being, and I have trouble enough controlling him. And that's me. I can't control anybody else. And it is a miserable life when you and I try and live our lives trying to control everybody around us to make them be what we want them to be. Because we can't do it. It's impossible. Okay? So first of all, how do I handle these people? I just focus on my actions, not the actions of my enemy. Number two, do right in all situations. I'll give you several examples here. In chapter 20 and verse number 1, I want you to notice what David said. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah, and he went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to take my life? David said, your father's trying to kill me. What did I do wrong? Okay, let me ask you. I mean, we know the story of David. What did David do wrong? Did he do anything wrong? No. David did right in every situation. By the way, that's why he was able to say, what have I done wrong? You know, most of the time when we get treated wrong, it's not because we deserved it. Now, there are times we do. I mean, there's times we blow it too, and we probably deserve some of the stuff we get. But there's a lot of times people misunderstand, or they're jealous, or for whatever reason, we don't get treated the way we probably ought to be treated, but we didn't do anything wrong. That's what David is saying. Look, he keeps on coming to this. Look at verse number 8. He turns to Jonathan and he says, chapter 20, verse 8, As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, if I've done anything wrong, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? If I've done something wrong, punish me. What was the point? David is saying I haven't done anything wrong. There are several other verses. Chapter 24 and verse 11. Chapter 26, verses 17 and 18. And then also chapter 26, verses 23 through 25. In all these passages, David is saying, I've not done anything wrong. Yet I'm still being treated this way. But what is the point? Even when we are treated wrong, it is our job to do what's right in every situation. You know, living the Christian life is not hard to understand. It's hard to do. Most of us, in most situations, we know what's right, right? I mean, right and wrong, for most of us, is pretty clear in most situations. Doing it is where the challenge comes, at least for me. I mean, I know situations, and I know a lot of times the right thing to do, but it sure is hard to do it. Because I know if I do the right thing, what's probably going to happen. And it's not always good. But it's always right to do right. Okay? So how do I handle these people? We're going to have them. Well, number one, focus on my actions, not theirs. Number two, do right in every situation. Number three. And boy, this is it's very comforting, but it's tough. Remember, God is in control, and He does have a purpose. God, you mean to tell me that there was a purpose why Saul threw a spear at David's head. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why Saul is hunting him down, trying to kill him. There's a reason for that. 
God, do you mean to tell me there is a reason why those people at work are trying to get me fired? Do you mean there is a reason why those friends of mine are talking wrongfully about me and spreading gossip about me so that everybody thinks I'm a horrible person? Do you mean there is a reason why that person broke into my house and stole everything I got and has never been caught? You mean to tell me there's a reason for that? And God would say, that's exactly what I'm telling you. He's God. The day that that person broke into your home and stole everything you've got, the day that I walked into the kitchen of my grandparents' home in the summer of 1973 and saw the message, my 11-year-old brother was dead from leukemia. You mean to tell me, God, that there's a reason for that? The day that that happened, God did not wake up and say, whoops, I missed that one. Oh, I didn't realize that was going to happen. Sorry, I meant to stop it before it went that far. My fault. Can you see God looking at anybody and saying, oh, my bad, I messed up. God never does that. Every single little bitty aspect of my life is guided and coordinated by the Creator of the universe. I will admit, I don't always understand that. I don't always like all of it. But the honest truth is, every bit of it is part of God's plan. He knows what He's doing. Let me show you a couple of situations here I thought were very interesting. In chapter 20, now remember how close David and Jonathan are. In chapter 20, David goes to Jonathan in verse 1 and says, What have I done? Why is your father trying to kill me? Jonathan, at first, didn't believe David. Jonathan, at first, said, Now, wait a minute. My dad's not trying to kill you. Are you crazy? Then Jonathan goes and talks to his dad at David's advice. And he realizes that David was right. So here's what happened. David and Jonathan set up a signal. If your dad is really trying to kill me, David said, then I want you to come out. He's going to shoot an arrow. If it falls short of the messenger or the arrow retriever, then everything's okay. If it goes beyond him, that means turn and run. My daddy's after you. Do you know how hard it was for David's best friend to tell his best friend, leave, I may never see you again? But that's exactly what happened. Jonathan realized his father was about to kill him. He goes out. He drew his bow. He shot the arrow way past where the retriever was. And David knew then, I've got to leave. I may never see my best friend again. I've got to go. God, are you sure you know what you're doing? It's not right. Why should I have to leave? I haven't done anything. Why are you making me leave? God had a reason. I want you to look at the next thing. I want you to look at chapter 22 and verse 1. If David had not left, this would have never happened. Chapter 22 and verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
By the way, he's running from Saul now. When his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Now look at this. This is so good to me. Verse 2. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men with him. What kind of people gathered around David? People whom David could minister to. David understood what it was to be discontented or unrest in his heart. He knew what it was to be in distress. He knew what it was to be indebted. And those are the people that gathered around him. God had a purpose. David was now ministering to people he would have never, ever touched had he not had to run from Saul. The day that Jonathan shot that arrow, it was pointed in the direction of a ministry God was going to use David in that he would have never had had he not been put in that situation. You know, sometimes adversity comes into our lives and God points us in a direction we don't understand and we may not even like at the moment. But there is a reason. And at the end of that road, there is a reason that will help others and bring glory to God and will bring more blessing to your life and to mine than we could have ever known had we never gone down that road. All because David handled the situation the right way. He did what God told him to do. So, first of all, focus on my actions, not my enemies. Do right in all situations. Remember God's in control and He has a purpose. And then finally, let God deal with the wrongdoing. That's not my job. If you do me wrong, it is not my job to make sure you get what you deserve. That's not my job. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And we're not going to read all this. It's verses 1 through 13. But this is where David creeps into a cave and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. By the way, there's an interesting phrase here in verse 5. The Bible says, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. Next week, our lesson is David walked with God. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. But Saul, that was not set up. One of the biggest differences between David and Saul was when David did wrong, it bothered him. When Saul did wrong, it didn't bother him. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we look at the characteristics of David which describe how he walked with God, which are the things you and I can do as well, walking with God, that give us a heart like David had, which is a heart like God. But David cut off the corner of Saul's robe, and it bothered him. He was actually upset because he felt he had done wrong. And I want you to notice what he says. Look with me down at verse number 11. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. He's talking to Saul now. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Verse 12 is the key. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. 
Do you know if human beings today live like that, there'd be a whole lot less hate in the world. But we're human. We don't always live that way, do we? David said, I didn't do anything wrong. Yet you're treating me horrible. I don't deserve to be treated this way. But you're treating me like this. I had the perfect opportunity to get you back. You were asleep. I could have killed you. David was convicted. He even cut off a piece of his robe. It bothered him so bad. And he said, The Lord will deal with you. But my hand will not touch you. Why? Because then David would become just like Saul. That's why the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Never said that about Saul. This is the attitude of a person who has a heart like God's. And in this world today, we don't have many people like this. So it becomes very critical that you and I as believers, that we have a heart like God. That we treat people the way God wants us to treat people. So how do I handle these people? Focus on my action, not theirs. Do right in every situation. Remember, God's in control. He's got a purpose. And just let God take care of them. I just worry about myself. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank You for the life of David and the example that He gives us for the kind of heart we ought to have even toward people in our life that don't treat us right. Father, I'll be the first one to admit, when people don't treat me right, it is very, very difficult for me to treat them correctly. I struggle with that. I need your help. I pray for each of us that our lives will so exemplify the attitude of Christ that everybody around us will notice something is different. And we can tell them that difference is Jesus. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a great morning.